Like, there's nothing more satisfying than, you know, working with a, a client closely, you know, giving them advice that they really act on. Um, they trust you as, as the expert. They act on this advice. It works out for them. Their business either grows or they're successful in a case. That feeling of somebody comes to you, you offer them professional advice that you've been studying for years to craft, um, you know, and then they act on the advice and it works. So I don't think there's any better professional feeling of, of just like satisfaction and kind of respect. Hello, and welcome back to the Well Now What podcast. I'm your host as always, Savannah. So being in this weird limbo period of post-grad, I've often contemplated several career paths. I've gone from optometrist to real estate agent to accountant, which would have been a huge mistake. And I've even considered pursuing a degree in law, which is potentially still in the books for my future. I thought it'd be great to hear the journey of a young lawyer. Conrad Flachik is an innovation and knowledge lawyer from Toronto. Today we talk about how he got into law school, the process of securing an articling position, how he was able to balance his entrepreneurial spirit and law passion, and we debunk some of the common misconceptions of lawyers. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'm here with Connor Flachik. I actually found Conrad through LinkedIn, and I really noticed how engaged he was with his network, often posting about law, law school, and the legal profession. Through his various posts, you can tell that Conrad really wants to engage with his community by encouraging everyone from students to professionals in the law field to connect and start a conversation. I have considered a law career myself, and I thought it'd be really helpful for those interested in pursuing a career in law to hear Conrad's journey as a young lawyer. So, Conrad, did you always know you wanted to be a lawyer? Yeah, I did. Uh, so, you know, I've been following your, your podcast for a little bit, and, and I noticed that your your previous guests, they, you know, they, they finished under undergrad, they're, they're kind of debating what to do. You know, I, I was, I was a little bit the opposite. I, you know, I, I wanted to be a lawyer since uh, grade five or six, like very early on. Um, I didn't have any lawyers in my family. You know, my, my parents were both Polish immigrants to Canada, so I didn't have, I didn't have that network, but it, you know, it all started when I went to a um, period court of justice on a field trip. And just from that, from that point on, you know, I loved what I saw the, the architecture of the court, you know, the way that the judges and, and, and the lawyers interacted, you know, the formality, you know, the, the sense of justice that you, you saw in the court. So from that point on, always just wanted to be a lawyer and then kind of just stuck with the path. Yeah. So going into your undergrad, did you choose a specific program that was cater kind for law or did you just pick something that you were interested in yeah I think I think those kind of go hand in hand so so I don't know um, if your guests or if, if you know but most law students most lawyers come from an arts background uh, so they do a, a standard BA I would say it's probably about 75 to 80 percent of, of people in in law so that's that's exactly what I did I went I went into arts into something that I found passionate you know urban systems and, and just uh, social sciences um, understanding how you know human beings behave how, how society operates you know, the larger structures, which gives you that, that broad perspective that would think about society in a broad way. And then it kind of gets more narrowed down once once you go to law school and they, they teach you how to think uh, in a very precise way. Yeah. And I want to talk about the process of getting into law school and kind of the LSAT. So how did you kind of prepare for that? What were some of the challenges for um, getting into law school and the LSAT? Yeah. So so there, there's two there's two points there. So it's, uh, I guess, grades and an LSAT. Um, you know, for any of your listeners that, that are interested in law school, that's perhaps unfortunately, but that's the majority of the application. They, they really care about those two those two criteria you want to go to undergrad you want to find something that perhaps you enjoy or that you're good at 
Um, law school doesn't discriminate on on the type of program uh, that you're coming from. So, you know, if you go to if you do a music major, if you do a fine arts major or drama major, if you do a hard science major, all those are considered uh, you know equal or they're all suitable for law. Uh, you just have to be good at at what you do, and largely that comes from just enjoying. In terms of the LSAT, um, you know, I don't I don't think anyone uh, enjoys that process of studying or or taking the LSAT, but it's something that needs to be done. Um, it requires a lot of preparation. You really have to kind of learn the method of the LSAT, you know, which opinion just requires you to write, you know, hundreds of practice exams, probably the best way to study for it. Learn the theory very quickly, find like a book, uh, something at Indigo or Chapters, you pick up like a theory of the LSAT, read that within a week or something, and then just focus on taking practice questions as much as you can, revising what you did right and what you did wrong, and just try to optimize that. And then if you do that for two or three months, uh, you should be okay. And how many law schools did you apply to? Did you like know from the beginning that you wanted to go, you were set on going to one school or you kind of just applied all over? Yeah, I, I applied to a few law schools. Um, I kind of said, uh, on the one I went to, I went to to McGill, which is which is in Montreal. Um, I, I did my undergrad and and I uh, did a master's of science at McGill as well. So I'm just like you know I, I bleed McGill type thing. I, I love the school. Uh, my older brother was was at the school as well, so I kind of went to the school initially, kind of following my older brother, and then I uh, just fell in love with the atmosphere. It was a great intellectual experience, but also made a lot of close friends, um, met a lot of professors that that I developed relationships with, and. And McGill was kind of that that go-to for me. You know, it's there's a lot of benefits, but you know, among, among others, it's maybe one third of the price of of some of the Ontario law schools. Get two law degrees, one in common law and one in civil law, uh, which you know, you know, makes you perhaps more more suited to uh, you know practicing overseas if you want. It leaves that door open. So a lot of just a lot of positives for McGill, and, and just just uh, had a great time in my undergrad. Right. So after your undergrad, you pursued a master's. Why is yeah. that? Yeah, so the so the masters I heard this I heard about the masters uh, from a friend who was in you know in resource management. You know this was this was a time when I I needed to study for the LSAT. I needed to take at least uh, you know two or three months to do that process. And and after graduating, I I reached out to a friend. She knew uh, like somebody who was really talking well about the program. And then I decided to take that while studying for the LSAT. Uh, so for my like first two three months of the program, I was just really intensely studying for the LSAT at that time while like trying to complete my coursework as well, which is, it was, it was pretty tough, but everything worked out okay. And yeah. And then today I have, I have a master's that I, that I can claim and um, met a lot of really awesome people in the program, you know, people who are very passionate about environmental science and, you know, they're doing a lot of great things today in international organizations or, or even locally for the government. So, so pretty happy with that choice. Nice. And so after your master's, did you go straight into law school or did you kind of take a break? Yeah, no, I, I went straight in, like it was, okay. it was a lot. So I, I was at McGill for nine straight years. So I did wow. a fourth year. Yeah. So it's a long time to be like in school and just at one school, but yeah, direct in, into law school and uh, trying to all get out of the way in, in one shot. And then and here I am. Yeah. And how was law school overall? Obviously, it's very, very tough. It's challenging. But um, what was your overall um, like feedback on it? Yeah. Law, law school is a cool experience. It's like an, it's an education that, you know, that everyone can benefit from, you know, really teaches you the mechanics of a society, you know, civil liability, you know, how do you enter into a contract with somebody, you know, what kind of like responsibilities do you have in society vis-a-vis uh, -vis other people, your neighbors, um, you know, how, you know, how does the constitution work in parliament and, you know, how, how does law get made and how is it enforced? How can you recover? How can you, you have certain rights that you may learn about in, uh, in a social science program, for example, but in law school, you figure out, you know, so you have these rights what does it mean to, you know, infringe on those rights? 
And then if that does happen, you know, what, what are the steps, what processes can you take to actually make sure that your rights are upheld? So that's kind of cool. It's a little bit, it's building on a social science degree. In terms of the method, um, so in social science, you, you know, you learn, there's a lot of theory, for example, you have to understand the theory. And often I found there's a lot of memorization. You have to you kind of learn concepts and make sure you understand those concepts and kind of redefine and show your profs that you understand. But in law school, everything is open book. So I don't, I don't know about other law schools, but I'm, I'm sh- quite sure it's the case. But at McGill, every, all of our exams from day one were open book. You have all your materials. You can bring in textbooks, anything you want, because the idea is you understand these, you know, these, these concepts or these, these principles, these rules of law. And then essentially every exam is they give you a, a unique, crazy fact pattern, they call it. It's a random set of facts. And then they expect you to apply really precise principles to these like obscure, complicated set of facts. And, and so that, so, it's, so as compared to undergrad, there's a tremendous amount of application. So it's learning things and then applying it to new, weird situations you've never seen before. And then the profs are testing your ability to um, you know, work under really tight time conditions and you know, apply law in an efficient, comprehensive way. Yeah, and would you say that you worked closely with your classmates? Was it a very collaborative environment? And also, was your class kind of diverse in terms of like age and gender? Yeah. So, so on on the first question, uh, did I work with like my, my colleagues or my peers in school? I would say law schools, they, you know, everyone gets along, everyone has, you know, respect and appreciation, because at the end of the day, you're, you're likely to encounter these people moving on and in your professional career. I think that's true for any professional program. But um, law schools tend to have, you know, certain groups that form, you know, they, they could be as small as, you know, two or two to five people or as large as like 15. And it's kind of like high school, you realize very quickly that, um, you know, you, you find, you know, people that you get along with, they might have share some certain certain values. And those tend to be the people you stick by uh, throughout that whole the whole process, and then they become your lifeline as well by giving you, you know, sharing their notes or helping you when you can't attend class, etc. So definitely, it's people that respect each other, but at the end of the day, you have your own kind of group that you stick to, and that's like your lifeline. Right. And I know that it is quite competitive securing an articling position after law. So how did you do it? Did you network while you were in your um, law degree? I know a lot of people did. They did that approach of, of networking. They attended a lot of wine and cheeses, etc. I was never a huge uh, fan of that approach. I never did that because at the end of the day, I, I always wanted to just focus, you know, on, on my profile, which which meant, you know, studying, getting getting uh, good grades, doing my readings, attending class, etc. And those events, they take a huge amount of time because you have to, you know, they usually happen at like five and then you go there, you stay until like 11 or whatever it is, you have a few drinks and you definitely don't want to do any law after that. So I, I didn't network too much. I just focused on my profile. I, I found a job posting that, you know, that was that was made accessible to faculty and, and I ended up applying. And, you know, once you get an interview, this was, uh, it was a, it was a corporate law firm. So once you get that kind of interview, it really comes down to, are you somebody who's going to add value to their business? Are you, are you business oriented? Are you somebody that, you know, eventually may, may have uh, potential to become, you know, a more senior member of the law firm? Are you going to get along with people, et cetera? So you can, you can go on a few interviews and, and then sometimes you find that right fit. You get along with the people and the people people at that at that job were great as well. So you know, a bit of luck, not too much networking. Okay, yeah. And do you find that a lot of people use their connections, like personal connections, to get positions, or do most people kind of just apply to jobs? Yeah, you know, like like don't quote me on this, but I I would say 
you know, ha- like having worked in, in these in these law firms, I'm not sure about uh, other areas, maybe like smaller offices or, or midsize. But if you're looking to get a job at, at a large law firm, and this probably applies for any larger organization, I, I'm not sure how much, you know, your close connections, like how much they can help you get the job. Just because these organizations, they have specialized recruitment teams. You know, uh, my, my firm probably has, you know, dozens of, you know, talent advisors and experts. They have HR teams. That's their job to find candidates to interview them. And it really goes through that process. Um, so, so, you know, I've been active on LinkedIn and I find, you know, so many people reach out to me. And at the end of the day, it's, it's very often a question of like, oh, so, you know, so can you get me a job at this law firm? You know, I, I always, I always do my best to try to inform these people and give them the best advice I can. But at the end of the day, it's like the lawyers, they might not have as much influence as candidates think. It really goes through the HR recruitment team. That's what they do. We give them the flexibility and that's the responsibility. And we respect that. And these larger law firms also have, you know, nepotism policies in place that say, you know, family, uh, potentially even very close friends. Um, you have to be careful giving those people jobs especially if they might be taking a position away from somebody else. So it's more maybe more bureaucracy at these larger institutions that, that kind of prevent getting your, your buddy uh, a job. Uh, you really have to kind of apply through the standard process. But all that being said, if you, if you know the person, if you know somebody that works at the firm, you, you know more about the experience, you can understand what they do better and then market your profile and really sell when you come to the interview on what they do and why you're the best candidate. Yeah. And what would you say are like the biggest differences between smaller firms and larger firms? I would say that a larger firms, I think there's more specialization. So you'll, you'll see at these larger firms, like you can have like a broad department, like an environmental law, for example. That's something that, that we have at our, our, our law firm. And that's segregated down into so many different sub-departments. You have people who do like climate change, people who do like oil and gas or energy law, people who do like clean tech. It's really hyper-specialized because if there's an institutional client that's using one of these law firms, they often have questions that, you know, they have their own internal legal teams, so if they're coming to a larger law firm for advice, uh, that often means that it's something that's that requires that special expertise because um, a, a more general in-house team that really takes care of everything. They do employment and labor, they do litigation or corporate as well. You know, if they're coming for an issue, it's been specialized, and then that's what you see at the larger firms. Uh, at the smaller firms, I think uh, lawyers are perhaps more versatile in that. You know, they can practice a few different areas of law, maybe not specialize as much as a young lawyer, for example, you might have more authority to, you know, go to court and and argue cases, you might have that opportunity more often, and, and really, perhaps more practical things, whereas in a law firm, you start off doing a small piece of a large file, you build the experience, you meet the clients, and then slowly you grow into becoming that expert. Okay, nice. And there's so many different avenues of where you can go with your law degree. So how did you decide what kind of law you wanted to pursue? Yeah, there's there so many. Uh, you know, if your listeners, uh, you know, if they're interested in a law degree, you can really do so many things. I know my friends, they work at international organizations. You know, in, uh, you know, at the UN or World Bank, for example, you know, you can be, um, you know, family lawyer, criminal lawyer, a corporate lawyer, you can do NGOs, etc. It's really versatile. You can be a politician. That's quite common, especially later in your career. So it is very versatile. And it's just because a law degree, it trains you to understand those mechanics that I was talking about, you know, how, how society works. How did I decide? You know, my, my dad, he had a small business. I, I grew up with that. And probably since since the age of five, I've been helping my dad with that business. And, you know, we it was a service type business. So we, so I met with uh, with different people and clients and I always had, you know, a passion for kind of like the entrepreneurship of the law, meeting with people, 
providing service to others and all those qualities that come with operating a small business were very attractive. And I think some of the things you get in, in a corporate type setting where you can start advising other companies on things that you know about business and especially from the legal side, but it's, it's, it's always really, really satisfying uh, for me and, and other people at the law firm to, to give good, not only legal advice, but legal advice that's grounded in, in business principles and, and growing somebody else's business and helping them get that satisfaction. So that's that's probably, long story short, that's the reason. And have you ever wanted to kind of pivot your career or are you kind of set on continuing down with law in like the next five years? A cool experience. Uh, you know, I, I, when I, after I articled, you know, I had this experience where, you know, I was, I was also contemplating uh, whether I should uh, start a tech company, which me and, and two others, we had this great idea and we were, you know, debating if we should put it into practice. And and ultimately we did. We ended up, you know, for a few months, we ran with this idea. We drafted some applications for some accelerators and we really got the the whole experience. So we had a, a, a you know, an MVP uh, and then we applied to like Y Combinator and Entrepreneurs Roundtable. And we ended up getting those interviews so like we were flowing down there and we met with investors, et cetera. So I did, I did always contemplate that side. Again, it probably comes from, you know, that, you know, growing up in a small business family, you always think that, you know, there's, there's an opportunity or a chance that you can, you can run your own business at some point as well. But, uh, I did contemplate it, but even in that role, I, I I always loved doing the law, like the incorporation of the business, you know, all of our agreements, you know, the privacy agreements and employment agreements, you know, that that's something that I did, uh, you know, at the startup and I love doing it. You know, I found a little bit of a balance uh, with my current role, which is on the innovation side. So working with, uh, you know, innovation, legal tech, for example. And so I think I, I struck a balance, but definitely it wasn't a, just a straight path without any hiccups. Yeah. And yeah, going back to your current role as a knowledge and innovation lawyer, what, what do you kind of do day to day, obviously kind of before the quarantine? Yeah, I get asked a lot, like, what is what is a knowledge and innovation lawyer? Um, essentially, those are actually two separate departments. So we have a knowledge team and we have an innovation team. So in terms of knowledge, it's extremely important for these large law firms to be the first to find out, you know, when there's breaking legal news. So if there's, a, you know, important Supreme Court decision that came out, if there's you know, a statute that just was uh, was amended, for example, or, or a new stat for that matter. It's really important that that our lawyers and all of teams, they're aware of those changes within, you know, within minutes of them coming out because law is ultra competitive and there's tons of law firms out there that offer, you know, somewhat similar service. So it's important that, you know, the law firm and the lawyers are aware of those changes and then they can quickly you know, draft or or think of strategies to address you know business risk or uncertainty for our clients. So, so my job there is to be really on top of that, those changes, making sure that our lawyers are informed of what's coming out from the courts or from from Parliament, and and just keeping them informed on on the innovation side. So, so our law firm actually has a, a few in-house software engineers, including some lawyers that have software engineer backgrounds. And so, what that involves, we we work with some of our institutional clients. And we, we get, we, you know, we learn everything about their internal legal affairs, you know, how, you know, how their legal work is carried out and organized. What are the inefficiencies of that work? How much does it cost? How can we bring that cost down? And then we have this internal team of software engineers or, or lawyers who, who are appreciate innovation and change and, and, and legal tech, for example. And then we help work with those clients to propose, uh, you know, tech-based solutions for making that process more efficient. So, it's that that's a really cool aspect. It really ties in that 
that startup experience. And, and uh, it's really satisfying when you can help a client, um, not necessarily in a strict legal role, but with their tech as well. Yeah, that sounds really cool. And what would you say that you dislike the most as being a lawyer and kind of what do you enjoy doing the most? I think all lawyers, uh, I think everyone hates the, you know, the billable hour. I know hate, hate is a strong word, but you know, people don't like like the you know keeping track of your time, and I don't know if your listeners are familiar with that, but you know when you work at a law firm, you have to keep track of all of your time, just to make sure everyone knows what you're doing, and that's also how how the business is structured. You 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 bill out your time to clients and stuff, so it's you know that's that's always the frustration. It just you know you have to track what you're doing and and always be on top of that that game. And um, I don't I don't know anyone who who really enjoys that, but that's just kind of part of the business. And in terms of what do you like, you know. I think there's nothing more satisfying than, you know, working with a client closely for, you know, a few months or even I know some of our lawyers for years, you know, giving them advice that they really act on. Um, they trust you as, as the expert. They act on this advice. It works out for them. Their business either grows or, or you know, they, they, they're successful in a case or they secure a deal, for example. And then it just, you know, that, that feeling of somebody comes to you. You offer them, you know, professional advice that you've been studying for years to craft, um, you know, and then they act on the advice and it works. So I don't think there's any better professional feeling of of just like satisfaction and kind of respect and all those all those good things. Yeah, right. And obviously, I found you through LinkedIn. So why did you decide to be so present and active on LinkedIn um, with law? I only recently was became active on LinkedIn, probably about the beginning of February 2020. Uh, before that, I was essentially radio silent. So I had I had LinkedIn <clears throat> probably since like 2000 and uh, like maybe 17, not too long ago. And then I was radio silent. I don't know if you've been following the post or not, but I started everything off with a video of myself, film myself, and I'm like, yeah, this is kind of me. Like this this is who I am. Like it's what I enjoy doing. This is some of my experience and what I currently do. And I just introduced myself to to the public and my followers. And and honestly, I would you know I I didn't know how people would kind of respond, but I, w- I was surprised that, you know, I got like 50 inbox messages, people being like, you know, this was kind of, I hate to use the word, but it was like inspirational. And I, I, I would love to do it myself and get myself out there. And all that kind of came from like a New Year's resolution. I just, I thought like for the longest time, didn't get myself out there. If you're a professional in any field, it doesn't matter if it's law, dentistry, if you're, you're a psychologist, psychiatrist, your doctor, it doesn't matter what you do. Uh, it's extremely important that people know about you and they, they know that you are a, a lawyer or, you know, or that dentist, for example, so that, you know, they can follow your content, they can learn from you and they can obviously, they can come to you for advice. That's it's just essential. It doesn't matter what you do. People need to know about you to, uh, you know, any, any kind of influence on, on the industry or, or, or be known in the industry. I started recently, but people are extremely supportive. I'm sure you've seen, you know, they, they send you great feedback, comments, they ask for advice. And it's just it's satisfying to to help other people, you know, go through that process, answer their questions and, and just to get yourself out there, even though it's kind of scary. It, it's definitely worth it in the end. Yeah, no, it's definitely great that you're giving back to that community. Because I find that in the law field, there's kind of certain, I guess, stereotypes or perceptions of what lawyers should be and how they should act. Um, like, what do you see as kind of like the major kind of issues and trends in the law field right now? To your earlier point, I, I think, I don't know why it is, but the law is, it, it is really misrepresented in just like pop culture, media. You know, there, it, it's 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 a really cool field. So th- there's a lot of like shows and movies about it. But, you know, the typical stereotype of a lawyer is kind of like a, a sleek 
salesman type person who like, you know, their integrity is like called into question. They'll kind of do anything to win. You, you know, when you go to law school, you know, it's so important. You, you learn about the ethics of law, the professional ethics. And I'm sure that's the same in, in any professional discipline, but I have yet to kind of encounter that person, that stereotype. And it's really unfortunate that the public might think of lawyers in that way, because it really is a profession that's based on mutual respect between colleagues or even opposing counsel. You know, if you go to a trial, it doesn't matter if somebody's winning the case or, you know, quote unquote winning or, or quote unquote losing, you have utmost respect for opposing counsel and what they're trying to do. They're trying to, you know, protect somebody's rights, making sure that they're heard and have their day in court. It's extremely important. And you have that respect between colleagues. You don't ever act in a dishonest manner. It's just something that doesn't happen because it's never worth losing years of reputation that you've worked so hard to develop all your years of schooling to get your credentials that say that you are a professional. It's never worth losing that by doing something shady or unethical in one instance or to help one client or one to win one case. Yeah. So how do you think for like the next generations of that are interested in becoming lawyers, how do we kind of break those stereotypes? Is it just kind of starting that conversation? And because there is that, that, like we said, like there's that image on like on social media or on like movies and TV shows in the entertainment world. So how do we kind of break that stereotype? Yeah, it's it's a good question. Like it's it's so hard because you can have like years of really positive, really positive outcomes in the legal profession. You know, like you can have you know access to justice is you know making improvements on that regard or having you know having you know lawyers act in ethical ways for consistent amount of times. But then it always just takes one instance of like somebody acts dishonestly. You know, somebody like embezzles money or or somebody you know, has like a shady commercial or, you know, they're, they have aggressive business, you know, practices. And it takes one instance to kind of like taint all the good stuff. Um, in terms of moving forward, you know, maybe it's a hard question. And, and you know, if, you, if you've got a, an idea on that, you know, I'd love to hear it. But it's, you know, maybe maybe it's introducing legal education more broadly, you know, maybe in elementary school, like how making a, you know, giving people more access to, to legal information, what it means to contract, what it means to be you know, ethical and in, in, in a professional discipline. It's it's a tough question. It really is. It really mm -hmm. is. Yeah, for sure. And just the last question to wrap things up. What would you say are like the top three essential skills you need to have to be a successful lawyer? Top three skills. Okay. So I would say number one, extremely detail oriented. I think most lawyers would agree that like your day-to-day -day work, people pay you as a professional to just be extremely diligent and detail oriented, making sure because in the law, like words matter. Um, even if they have different variations, you have to be very careful on, about the language you use, about punctuation. You have to be careful about citing cases and authorities. You, you even have to be careful on, on the professional ethics side and, and just making sure you operate, you know, in an ethical manner, getting, you know, retainers and, and uh, making sure you check, you know, clients' identities, et cetera. There's a whole process for that. So I think detail-oriented, number one. Uh, number two, I would say critical thinking. Not only do you have to be detail-oriented, you, you have to make sure that, you know, you're adding value to your clients in smart ways, ways that, you know, they're paying you money to do. So it's something that they couldn't perhaps uh, with, without having that legal education, they wouldn't be able to come up with it themselves. When somebody comes to a lawyer um, with a problem, it's, it's always it's always a mess because, you know, if they could solve it themselves, they would. They wouldn't pay a lawyer a lot of money to, to solve that problem. So it's always a mess. And then you're kind of expected to solve a really complex problem that 
may involve many different parties, may involve many different sources of money and, and accounts, may involve you know some some kind of shady behavior or um, you know some regulations from the government, etc. So you got to navigate all those different things and come up with a cohesive, understandable proposal. So it's you, you need to have some critical thinking skills for that. And then last. I would say, uh, like business development skills, I would say is essential. Perhaps less so if you work for, like, the, you know, as a crown attorney or, or or in the public sector. But definitely in the private sector, you can be the smartest lawyer, have be the most detail oriented, have the best critical thinking skills. But like I said before, it's people need to know that you're a lawyer, that you're out there, and that you are that effective. So you need to have the ability to, you know, get your name out there to, to, you know, to find clients at some point in your career and to make people aware of what you do. So I think I think that is unfortunately an essential uh, aspect of, of being a lawyer with those two other skills. Yeah, great. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time, Conrad. I definitely learned a lot myself and I know that other people out there considering um, a law degree will definitely find this very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. No, no problem at all. If, um, if, if anyone has any questions, just you know, like reach out on LinkedIn, like send me an inbox. Always happy to, to answer that. And that was Conrad Flachick. Make sure to follow him on LinkedIn to hear all about his journey as a lawyer. And don't be afraid to reach out. He offers great advice if you're interested in pursuing a career in law. Please subscribe and share the episode if you can. See you next week.